time lunch was over, we weren't speaking with each other. The tension had been building all morning, but it boiled over when he suggested we stay and rest another half hour. Kyle, we have nine more miles to go. At this rate, we won't make it before dark. Well, I can't go any faster. That's why we need to leave as soon as possible. I need more energy. I need to rest to have more energy to hike. But the longer it takes us, the less energy we're going to have. This was day one of our pilgrimage on St. Cuthbert's Way, a 63-mile trail that crosses the Scottish borders into Northumberland, England. It had started off well that morning. As the sun rose ahead of us, Kyle and I climbed out of this sleepy Scottish village, Melrose, where we had spent the night, over into these, this saddle between two big hills, the hardest climb we were going to have all day. And then we'd literally sung our way down the other side and through the next town and the next one after that, teaching each other songs and picking out the harmonies. This was just the trip we imagined. But then the cracks started to appear. At every stream we passed, Kyle insisted on stopping, climbing down and touching the water. We passed a lot of streams. And whenever I tried to push the pace in light of the time we were losing, he fell behind me and slowed us down even further. There had been signs from the beginning that we might not be well-suited travel companions. I had done almost all of the planning for our trip, which was a pretty logistically complicated one. And I'd sent him multiple Google Docs and spreadsheets. And then when we got to O'Hare for our flight, I found out he hadn't opened any of them. And it also became clear pretty quickly on the other end that my insistence on keeping to those details I had figured out was not his idea of vacation. And now here we were on this beautiful day, sitting in an open field, capping off a well-earned lunch with the last pieces of berry pie that our Airbnb host had made us the night before. And we were miserable. We weren't half done with that day's miles and with each passing hour, Kyle hiked slower. I wondered how we were possibly going to make it to that night's stop without running out of gas, let alone our destination three and a half days from then. And he wondered why I wouldn't just relax, let go of my plans, take the day as it came. Why I had to keep to a certain timetable, why we couldn't just rest when we needed to and hike when we felt ready. We can't wait another half hour. We need to leave now. Why don't you just leave and I'll come when I'm ready. You don't know where you're going. Fine. He took his time reloading his pack and getting his shoes back on. Impatiently, I ducked back through the hedgerow and waited for him on the path. As soon as he came through, I took off at what I thought was an appropriate pace, but he hung back and we walked like that for hours. Me pressing on, trying to knock out the miles, him taking it easy, stopping to smell the roses, every rose, both of us fuming, sure the other one was wrong. 
So a confession or an additional confession, I guess. I did not want to do this worship theme, Are We There Yet? I fought it. I like the idea of singing road trip songs. And I like that the phrase summed up so much of what I'm feeling after 16 months of all of this. But those good things were not enough to overcome my main objection, that there are only two ways to preach, are we there yet? And I've done them both many times. This is what I mean. On one hand, you can preach like the kid in the back seat, impatient, wanting to make progress. You can preach the yearning part of the spiritual life, the longing for a world of justice right now, a world of equity today. When will the meek finally inherit the earth? When will the mourners be comforted? We're tired of waiting. We're ready to get there already. And on the other hand, you can preach like the parent on that road trip, urging patience, pointing out the beautiful scenery, striking up a song or a game of license plate bingo, the spirituality of the present moment, of understanding that life is a journey and you will miss it entirely if you are always rushing on to the next thing. That there's a peace and groundedness in being with God right here and right now, no matter how much further we have to go. Those are the two ways to preach this. And I've done them both a dozen times. You've heard them, even those of you who have only been here for a few months. Because they're two of the most common spiritual paths. And a lot of times they're understood kind of in tension with each other. Action versus contemplation. Prayer or protest. Is it more spiritual to work for change or to be thankful for all that is? to fight the powers of evil or to be in relationship with God, to make progress toward our destination or to appreciate the path along the way. Those two ideas are intention in me, even though I was the impatient one with Kyle, I'm often the contemplative one going too slow for my anxious companions. That's why I preach them both, justice one week, peace the next. One week I'll preach the letter to the Romans, all creation groans. Things are not as they should be. God wants the world to be transformed and we have so far to go. Racism, homophobia, the destruction of the earth. When will we get where we're supposed to be going? And the next week, Matthew 6, do not worry. I didn't want to preach on this scripture again. Jesus telling people not to worry. Every time I preach what I think is a good sermon about this, someone comes up to me immediately afterward and just says, but how? And I don't know the answer. And I know this scripture basically by heart. I didn't want to preach it because I think there's nothing here to surprise me. There's nothing left for me to learn from this. Nothing new here. Just one simple, impossible idea. Do not worry. And then this week I read it again and I realized that is not what it says. I feel like it's not totally my fault for thinking that's what it says because in my study Bible on the little subject headings that it has before each story, it says, do not worry. So I wasn't alone. And Jesus does say those words a few times, but I noticed this week it's always with other words after them. Do not worry about your life or about your body. Do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Do not worry about tomorrow 
for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Which I finally realized this week kind of means worry about today, which no one is ever going to write as the subject heading over a scripture, I think. Do worry. But that is what it's saying. Do worry, or maybe at least do work on today's troubles, on the work that's right in front of you to do, which is not either of the things I usually preach about, or it's both. It's not about finding peace in the present moment and escaping the question of where I'm headed. And it's not about seeking justice in some future time and losing sight of what's happening here and now. It's about doing justice here and now and about finding peace in the middle of work that's going to take way longer than we know. It's the justice of doing the next right thing. And it's the peace of believing that in God, that has to be enough. At least for today. Do not worry about tomorrow's work. Do worry about today's. Kyle and I were both wrong, maybe both right. I promised myself I wouldn't tell you, but he wore sandals for a hiking trip in Scotland. So I was a little more right. At dinner, we were both in tears. We made it to our home for the night, albeit after getting lost for an additional hour, wandering around some Scottish subdivision that it turned out was just at the base of a, the last hill we had to climb for the day. After our coach, after our host coached us on how to find our way to her place, we begged her to go get dinner for us since we couldn't imagine making the three mile round trip walk to the nearest restaurant. The curry and beer she'd picked up gave us just enough energy to have the fight that we'd been avoiding all day. I just felt like you were judging me all day, like you were mad at me, and that was no fun, Kyle opened up. I was mad at you. I am mad at you. I feel like I'm the only one taking responsibility for getting us to where we're going. I can see that, he admitted. But I'm here to hang out with you. I want to enjoy the hike, not just complete it. You're right. I'm obviously uh, fast forwarding through a lot of the crying. You're right. I finally realized I was, I was so focused on making it to where we were going that I forgot what was most important. And we started the next morning with this new understanding between us. He would keep in mind how far we still had to go and take his turn leading and setting the pace. And I would keep in mind that our friendship was more important to me than completing this hike. I'd go slower than I wanted to and take more breaks. And if that meant that we ended up in a cab at the end of the day, that was better than a fight. And where the first day had been beautiful and sunny, the second was Scotland, cold and windy and wet, and it was so much better. It happens to me more often than I care to preach about. 
I get so focused on where I want to get to as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker, as a friend, that I forget about where I am or who is with me. I worry so much about tomorrow's work that I neglect today's, but if the place we're going to is a place of love, the place I'm trying to get is a place of love, then the way to get there is to start by loving the person right in front of me, or even a half mile or so behind me. Even though I know how far it is that we still have to go, I can only go a day's journey in a day. Every week I make a to-do list in the front, on the front of the notepad I carry with me. And most weeks, the tasks on that list are enough to keep me busy for a month. So to help me focus, I put stars next to the most urgent items. And then sometimes like this week, the number of items with stars gets to be so many that there's no way I'm gonna possibly complete them. So I start to write exclamation points next to the most urgent, urgent ones. And then finally around Thursday, our, our last day of work for the week, when my week is, is wrapping up, I turn the page and just make a list of like four things that I can actually do that day, that I must do that day. And it helps because there is so much to do. There is still so far to go and I can only travel so fast. I'm wearing sandals. I can only knock out so many items. There is just so much I can worry about today. There is so much I just can't worry about today and a, and a little bit I can. And when I'm at my best, when I've had some curry and beer, I know I can trust God for the rest. I know that a day's journey is enough for one day. And if I mess it up this time, I can try again tomorrow. I can wake in the cold drizzle or the muggy heat and ask, what is the work of love that is in front of me today.